0: And if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, find uh, the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, that's the first book in the Bible. Find the very last chapter of that book. And we have a little bit of a different uh, Easter message for us this morning. But I'm so excited to be with you and to be in God's Word together. Genesis chapter 50. And I want to start by saying there's nothing More engaging than a good plot twist. It always adds more drama, more suspense, and even often irony to to the whole story. And friends, Wednesday night was a plot twist for many of us, wasn't it? (laughs) Particularly in our house, it was there was a there was a whole other level of twist. So the day it started, I hadn't necessarily been. Been feeling the best. And so, what do you do when you're not feeling the best? You ask your wife to pick you up Taco Bell on the way home. I know that might not be the best medicine to you, but I know it is for me. And we go about our evening as usual. The weatherman's playing in the background. A church had been canceled because of the incoming weather. So, we decide okay, let's give one of the dogs a bath and let's clean up a bit. Around the house. So it was looking like a pretty normal night, but before the end of the night, we ended up like this. There we are in the hallway with all the animals, the wife, everything there. The tornado warning came. We all got in the hall, we're hunkered down. We prepare for the wind to come. We lost power, and in an additional plot twist, we lost water for several hours. And so we've got a whiny, wet dog there, we've got some cats complaining there's another dog hidden somewhere in there and my poor wife had to deal with a husband full of taco bell who can't use the bathroom because (laughs) there is no water (laughs) all in this small hallway right the plot of the evening took a twist in a different direction didn't it (laughs) and during easter we also got to live a little more like jesus didn't we no electricity and no water. And just like on the cross, darkness covered the earth for hours. We got to experience our own little personal plot twist. But there is no plot twist in life or in culture or in the movies that can beat the plot twists of history. That the director and the author of history, God himself, has written plot twists all over the story he is writing. In fact, this weekend, we joined with billions of people. I want us to understand that billions of people around the world to celebrate the greatest plot twist in all of history. Jesus crucified on Friday, but risen on Sunday. And we know this to be something that truly happened. There were hundreds of eyewitnesses as Jesus didn't just Rise again. He walked around and ministered for 40 days afterwards. Imagine that. Not just risen, but people are seeing him who just saw him die. And this wasn't how many in that day expected it to go, but it was right before them all along. And we've been journeying over the last several months, chapter by chapter, through a a God sized plot twist in the life of a guy named Joseph. And what's so interesting is the Joseph story has many parallels, intentional parallels, I believe, with the events and the meaning of Easter. Remember, God wrote both stories. He put both Joseph and Jesus into the world. And let's think of a few of these similarities before we get into our text. Remember, both men began the main purpose of their life at the age of 30. Both were sold as slaves and betrayed by those who were close to them. Joseph descended into the pit, Jesus descended into the grave, and both ascended to become royalty. And the central point of both stories can be summed up in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, which is this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Here's the main point. The God-sized plot twist is this that God brings good out of evil. The message of the life of Joseph but also of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that God brings good out of evil. God used the sufferings of both Joseph and Jesus to bring about the salvation of others. A God-sized plot twist ends the book of Genesis and crescendos in the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to see three plot twists that both of these men, Joseph and Jesus, share in what happens at the end of their life. Here's the first thing we see. We see that the end became a new beginning. God's bringing good out of evil, and the end became a new beginning. Genesis 50 closes with Jacob, the father, being buried back in Canaan. But Joseph had a different desire. Look how his life ends. Genesis chapter 50, verse 22. Look at this. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Makur, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And notice, this ending is all a setup for what will happen in the very next book of the Bible. If you have a Bible with you, you can actually turn over the page, and you'll see a book called Exodus, You'll see that Joseph's life prepares the way for the beginning of the Exodus. God's going to carry this family out of Egypt. And Joseph asks that they carry his bones along with him. And if you read into the book of Joshua, when they come into the land, they actually do. They're bringing Joseph along with them in that the ending becomes a new beginning. And this is true not just for the life of Joseph, but it is true for the death of Jesus as well. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in the temple, making a new and better way for access to God. Because of Jesus, we don't have to come on the basis of sacrifices or our own works, but we come by faith in Jesus alone. Remember that the book of Exodus has a very important event in it called the Passover. And actually Jesus died while the people in Israel were commemorating that Passover. And during the first Passover, remember God's people sacrificed a lamb and they put the blood over their door so that the curse of God would pass by. They were covered by the blood through faith. And we see that Jesus, at the hour they would have sacrificed that lamb, died upon the cross so that we might be covered by his perfect sinless blood. So we might have forgiveness of our sins and freedom to pursue God. This is a beautiful picture of God bringing about a new beginning through an ending. The people in Exodus were forgiven and freed from slavery to Egypt. And Jesus died so that you might not simply be forgiven of your sins, but also freed from slavery to sin. The end became a new beginning. And both Joseph and Jesus teach us that it's only by coming to the end of ourselves, that it's only by giving up on your self-salvation project that you can begin to receive grace, that it's only by coming to the end of living for yourself that you can begin to live for the glory of God. To use the language of the scripture, you must die to yourself so that you might live for God. The only way you can ever have a new beginning is that you must have an ending. You must end walking and living for yourself so that you can have a new beginning following after the risen Lord. The God-sized plot twist of God bringing good out of evil begins with bringing an ending and, and creating a new beginning. We see, second, that the act of betrayal became the opportunity for blessing. In a huge plot twist, the act of betrayal became an opportunity for blessing. Verse 15, as the brothers the brothers who betrayed Joseph now come before him, their dad, Jacob, has died. And so they're concerned now. They're like, Dad's not going to be here to protect us. We need to butter Joseph up a little bit. Siblings would never do that, right? Butter, butter him up because we don't know what he's going to do now that we've wronged him. Look at verse 15. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for him. I am the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as you are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little, one, and your little ones. Thus he comforted them. And spoke kindly to them. See how countercultural this is. Think of the suffering they caused him, and Joseph did nothing to deserve it. Sure, he wasn't perfect, but he certainly didn't ask for all the brothers did to him. Psalm 105 gives us some details into Joseph's suffering, and we read this in Psalm 105 18 that his feet, that is Joseph's feet, were hurt, were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron, and he was shipped away from his family. He likely went hungry and thirsted, and yet in the text he remains silent. We don't hear from him in the midst of any of it. Consider the pain. But also consider how that makes the sweetness of his grace all the better. That against the backdrop of evil, goodness shines the brightest. And there's another innocent sufferer who was bound and led away, wasn't there? Jesus was bound like Joseph. He was betrayed and sold for a buck. He was truly innocent Yet he suffered as a criminal. He was hung on a cross and nails were put through his hands and he was pierced through his side. He was denied by his disciples and his family and left all alone to die. People mocked Jesus. They spit on him. They humiliated him. And we read that he remained silent as a lamb before his shearers. And this doesn't even really begin to get around what happened on the cross. We often emphasize what the world did to him. But consider what it must have been like for the weight of the world's sins to be upon you. Consider what it must have been like to bear the curse of sin. Not just to be crucified, but to be crushed For our iniquities and in the garden before he was to be crucified, he said, Father, let not this cup pass from me. And he was speaking. He was using this Old Testament language of of God's anger being pictured as a cup being emptied out. And he says, God, I'm going to drink the cup of your anger dry. Consider that as wicked as the world did to him. Consider what our sins did to him. And under this incredible suffering, look what Jesus cries. Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And as he says that, they're casting lots to divide his garments. They're gambling away his clothes. He was betrayed, and yet he asks for forgiveness for his betrayers. Joseph said to his brothers, do not be afraid. The purpose of all this was to save many lives. And Joseph did. He he provided food for Egypt and for his family in the midst of famine. But Jesus did far more by providing forgiveness and salvation for our sin. Man intended evil, but God intended good. We see a strange mystery and marriage that God is in control of all things, yet we are responsible for our sin. We see both on clear display. And the Apostle Peter does the same thing as he preached on the day of Pentecost. Cowardly Peter had something happened to him between Jesus dying and the day of Pentecost, he'd, he'd literally been seen the risen Jesus and had the Holy Spirit come on him in power. And look what he says in Acts chapter 2. He says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See it, lawless men intended evil, but our God had another plan. He intended good and life and liberty. Jesus knew the plot twist was coming. He wouldn't stay dead. He would empty the grave of its power. He would swallow up death and victory so that we could proclaim, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And for thousands of years before it happened, Jacob and Joseph and so many others looked forward to what God was going to do. And this brings us to the third and final plot twist we see here. Not simply that the end became a new beginning, that an act of betrayal became an opportunity for blessing, but third, we see that the grave became gain. (laughs) And the greatest plot twist of all, the grave became gain. Joseph and Jacob, we don't know exactly how much they knew about what this promised Messiah would do. They were given hints Throughout Genesis, we've seen that as we've walked through their life, right? Abraham was told he's going to have a son. And we were told in the last chapter that the son of Abraham is going to come through Judah and he's going to look something like Joseph. He's going to suffer and be exalted. Yet both Joseph and Jacob went to the grave in faith. Both had to look forward to the day when the grave would be defeated And they ultimately had their eyes on resurrection. Consider this. If Joseph didn't think he was going to live again in his body on the earth, why did he care about them bringing his bones all the way back to Canaan when they came in? That's a little weird if you don't think you're going to maybe be visiting Canaan one day, right? Or consider even Jacob asking that he be buried back with his family there. If he didn't believe he was going to see them one day, Why would he ever care about where he was buried? Let's look back at the start of the chapter. Genesis chapter 50, verse 12. As Jacob has died, look what the sons do. Thus his sons did for him as he commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephraim the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he'd buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who'd gone up with him to bury his father. Think about it. Jacob chooses to be buried in Canaan with his family. Why do you do that if you don't think you're going to live again and inherit the promises of God given to him that Canaan is going to be his home and that he and his family will have it forever? And in the midst of this, the family grieves. You can actually read earlier in Genesis 50 all about how the boys grieved for months over their father's passing. Yet they were not people who grieved without hope. They knew that Jacob would rise again. They believed what the apostle Paul would later write. Here's something Paul would write. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. Look what he would say. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And fallen asleep is a, is a term for death. That we're promised that because Jesus died and rose, God's going to raise us up one day. The cemetery down here by the school is going to be empty. And every funeral home put out of business. <laughs> we're going to rise again. Everybody hopes for, and it's good to hope for, going to heaven when you die. But I think that's hard for us to understand because we don't understand what it's like to be without a body and to live as some sort of floaty spirit thing, right? And the hope of the Bible is that's not your ultimate home body and soul will be reunited and we will live on a new heavens and a new earth. Just as Jesus was risen and he walked around and he ate and he spent time with his disciples, one day we are going to be risen again. If we're in Jesus, we'll be risen again to a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's right. Isn't that great? That's right. Absolutely. And because of that, we can declare what Paul says. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Look at this. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For you who look by faith to Jesus, the grave is gain. Death is not defeat. Death is victory. Why? Well, first, because... We've got someone who has given us the directions to heaven. You know, it's one thing to hear other people tell you how to get somewhere. It's one thing to hear directions from somebody who's been to where you're going and come back. And gone. well, here's how you get there. You go this way. And friends, let me tell you, Jesus, when he has died. He's gone in the grave. And he came back three days later. And he said, this is how you get there. And he didn't say you get there by coming to church on Easter. No, that's not a bad thing to do. I'm glad you're here. He didn't say you get there simply by living a moral life. He didn't say you get there through the way of Muhammad or Buddha, because, friends, they're they're dead. buddy. Jesus said, if you want to know the way, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Friends, dying is gain when Christ is your Lord, because by dying, you get to be with Christ. You get to be with your creator, your master, the author and director of your story and of all history. And friends, if there's any other reason, so many people want to go to heaven, but they really don't want God to be there. There's a lot of people that they want, well, I want my family there. I'd like the streets of gold. I'd really like for them to have a Chick-fil-A right down the street, right? But they're like, I don't really care if God is there. Let me tell you something. There is nothing greater in heaven (laughs) than that God himself is there. And in the strangest plot twist of all, God turns your greatest enemy into your greatest hope. God transforms the grave into gain through Jesus. God brings good out of evil. And let me say this, if God can do that in Joseph's life and through the death and resurrection of the Son of God, why do you think you're an exception to God bringing good out of the pain and the evil of your life? For those who have the faith like Joseph and who are trusting in Jesus alone, God has a plot twist for your life, summarized in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Look at this. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, so it's not just saying some things. There's not a little asterisk in my Bible that comes down in lists, except for your problems, right? All things are working together for good. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to see it right away. That doesn't mean we're going to understand it in the moment. But God is in the business of the plot twist. God took Joseph from servant to sultan. And friends, it wasn't overnight, Jesus turned a cross into an empty tomb, and even then, he took three days to do it. He brought good out of evil, salvation out of sacrifice, forgiveness out of being forsaken. And today, the way to begin the path toward the plot twist is to come to the end of yourself to let God just blow your life to pieces, to go, I've been living long enough my way and this is not working out. And to allow God to transform the trajectory of your life to experience forgiveness of sin and to gain eternal life. It doesn't start by turning yourself around by work. So many people think, okay, now I'm really going to hunker down and I'm going to leave right out of here and I'm going to start a Bible in the year plan. And friends, three days from now, you'll be right back where you are because if you go in your own strength, you will always fail. But it starts by standing broken and receiving grace. The only people that God can fill with the bread of life are beggars hungry for bread. And the way up is always the way down. The way to the throne is by getting on your knees and calling out to the one who rules and reigns. Here's the Bible's word for that. The Bible's words for that is to repent and to believe. To repent means to turn from your sin to turn away from it, not just to say sorry for it, or even that you're sorry for the consequences of it. It's so much more, it's a turning away from, a changing of orientation towards sin, and trusting by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus for you. And here's how, there's lots of ways to respond to this message, but let me give three in response to this. First, the way to respond to this is worship friends, to give God your all and to sing to the one who is controlling and ruling and reigning over all things. And if he could bring a plot twist out of the darkest day in human history, friends, he can do it through the craziness of the world we live in today. And we can worship him because the one who holds the world has nail-scarred hands that he endured for you. Second, we've got many today that may just need renewal. Maybe you're back at church for the first time in a while, and we're glad you're here. Maybe it's, it's been a rough two years for all of us through things, and maybe you need renewal. The great thing about the cross is that God receives those who come to him in earnest faith. No matter how far gone you are, remember, there was a thief next to him, and that thief he received in a moment. I can only imagine being that thief and going to heaven and they might have asked him about, hey, do you remember doing this Bible study? And he's like, no. He's like, I've never been to a Bible study before. And to see that God is ready to receive you and to renew you. And finally, third, there's, there's people here today that what you need is a resurrection. You, need, you are, the Bible describes as, dead in your sins. And you need God to make you alive. You need God to turn it around. You've come to the end of yourself and you said, this ain't working out. I need something I can't do. And the good news is we have a God who's able to take the dead and bring them back to life. And today, if you need resurrection, there's time for you to respond to that too. Whatever you need to do, I would encourage you to call out to God. I'm going to be down front here And if you need somebody to pray with, if you need somebody to talk with, if you just need somebody to to be here as you come forward and cry out to God, I'll be here. But regardless of what it is, this is a time to do business with God. Easter is a regular reminder that there is so much more to life than the things we get caught up in. So whatever you need to do in these next moments, I would call you to respond. But on this Easter Sunday... May we do business with the author and perfecter of our lives. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father God, you are good. We are so thankful that you bring good out of evil. We're thankful that you're in control of all things. And Lord, that you're the God all about the plot twist, (laughs) all about the unexpected. You did that in the life of Joseph, as we've seen together over previous weeks, but you've also done it through Jesus. You used a grave to bring about forgiveness and restoration and forgiveness. And right now, as I pray, there are those here today who've not made a commitment to you, who have not turned from their sin and trusted in you. And I would ask in this moment, that you would prick their heart, that they would know that you love them and have sent your son to die for them so that whosoever believes would not perish, but have everlasting life. You're in the business of taking the dead and making them alive. And I would ask you to do that, to take people dead in their sin and bring them to new life in you in these next moments. For those in need of renewal, you're ready to receive And I pray that as all of us worship and make much of you and do business with God, we're thankful that you're a merciful and forgiving God ready to receive us. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Separated, the breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You held me in your sight So you made a way Across the great divide Left behind heaven's throne To build it here inside there at the cross, you paid the debt I hold. Broke my chains, freed my soul, for the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood. It has washed me white Thank you, Jesus You have saved my life Brought me from the darkness Into glorious light You took my place Laid inside my tomb of sin You were buried for three days But then you walked right out again Now death has no sting And life has no end For I have been transformed By the blood of the Lamb For the blood applied, thank you, Jesus. It has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus. You have saved.
0: Amen. It is so good to be together and to remember uh, our risen Lord. And there's still time today. If you've made any decision, if you did business uh, with God today and you need somebody to talk to, I'll be around and there'll be others uh, that will be around to talk to you as well. We're sent out into the world with the message of a a suffering, crucified, and risen Jesus to send out into the world. As he rose again, remember, he came before his disciples, and he blessed them with the benediction, and he gave them a commission to spread this news into all the world. And we are sent out now with a benediction from 1 Timothy chapter 1 to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, me honor and
1: glory forever and ever. Amen.